It's good to look out and see those who come to God with us tonight at Eastside. We do have a few visitors here. We're thankful for presence. We um, also have uh, several who are out. I think we have several that are sick, as mentioned this morning, some that are traveling and probably visiting with family tonight as well. But we're glad to be here and glad to have an opportunity again in 2023, one more time, to honor and glorify the God of heaven together as we look forward to the year to come. We're thankful for the year that is passing. Uh, It's notable when a year passes and we think back on our blessings and we look forward to the possibilities of the time ahead. Uh, We have challenges ahead of us, probably all of us, whether we know it or not. We have opportunities ahead of us. And uh, there's much to think about, I think, this time of year, and probably most of us spend some time in reflection about the passing of time. And that brings us to our topic for tonight, Four Prayers for the Ending of the Year. And these are found in the 90th Psalm. So I invite you to turn to Psalm 90. The heading of the 90th Psalm Uh, in your Bible will be a prayer of Moses, the man of God. I often note that apparently Moses wrote this psalm. Some might dispute that and just say maybe it reflects something about Moses or whatever, but I believe it indicates that Moses wrote this psalm. As we say often when we study the psalm, these headings that we have in the book of Psalms are in the oldest manuscripts that we have. Uh, One might argue about whether or not they're inspired, but they're in the oldest Bible manuscripts that we have. I believe that God intended for them to be there uh, in manuscripts that well predate even the time of Christ. So having said that, that, and that when I read this heading, I often thought, well, Moses wrote this, right? But what I haven't really thought about is what it actually says, a prayer. It's a prayer. And we've been talking about prayer all year, as we talked about this morning. And so I thought it appropriate to end with a prayer of a great man of God. In this prayer, Moses contrasts God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, with man who lives 70 or 80 years and whose life is soon cut off. This psalm says, has more references to time in it, to the passing of time, than any other psalm. The words years and days and everlasting, uh, for instance, are found throughout this psalm. Moses is speaking to us about the brevity of our lives and the eternal nature of God himself. Our dependence upon God, when we contrast the two of us, he and us, our dependence upon him is palpable. Psalm 90 then focuses us on our need for God by looking at our mortality in comparison to his eternal nature. The passing of days and years of human life are contrasted to God for whom a thousand years are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. So let's read the first few verses of the 90th Psalm. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like asleep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. So humanity and human life in the passing of time as it occurs in this world, uh, things change and uh, the fragility of uh, physical life is seen always. To God, uh, these changes in the time do not change Him. He is the same. He is everlastingly the same. But we acutely feel the passing of time and we see that the grass that was green this morning is cut down and withering in the evening and we see that a watch in the night passes and like sleep we open up we close our eyes we open our eyes and it passes and it's gone and it was not too long ago that we were looking forward to the things that might happen in 2023 and now all of that is behind us as I think about the things through the year this year that I've thought about uh, particularly that have occupied my mind uh, planning for a gospel meeting here at East Side, a trip to Africa in September, a move uh, of our house uh, into another house, and all of these things. I thought about through this year, these were future things. These were things to plan for and get ready for and that we're, we're going to go through, and now they're all gone. That's all gone. And what will come in the days to come? Well, we're consumed by the anger of God. He has set our iniquities before us, our secret sins and the light of our countenance. All our days are passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and by reason of strength, they're 80 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. It is soon cut off, and we fly away. Our sins are a constant reminder of our failings and our frailty. And our, our mortality reminds us of all of that even more. For at best, we live 70, 80 years, maybe a few more. But it is soon caught off. So in light of all of that, in light of all of that, as a backdrop, Moses would have us pray concerning the past and for, and for the future. Four things. Now, I've encapsulated these things into four things. There are actually more statements than that about things to pray for, but you'll see a little bit of combining in what we're talking about. But the first thing he says is, pray to God to give us wisdom to make our days count. Psalm 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Are our days counting for something? And are they counting for something because we have and are exercising the wisdom of God as we live our days? So teach us to number our days. We need God's wisdom. That's the implication here, and it's obvious. With all of our frailties, with our sins, with our shortcomings, with the way time affects us, and he is perfect and sinless, and time does not affect him, we need him. And we need his wisdom, wisdom that is truly timeless, eternal wisdom. God's wisdom is far greater than human wisdom for lots of reasons, not just because he inhabits eternity and we inhabit time and space, but also 
just the nature of his very being. God's wisdom compared to man's wisdom is as far apart as his years are from our years. Paul describes the difference in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 25 when he says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. God at his most foolish, if there is such a thing as any foolishness in God, is far, far wiser than any of us or all of us together. The weakness of God is stronger than men. If God were to have a weakness, which I propose that he does not actually, that would be stronger than all of us. We need God's wisdom. And so we should seek that wisdom above all else. In the book of Proverbs, of course, a book about wisdom, a book about seeking wisdom, Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will preserve you, love her. She will keep you. He's talking about wisdom personified there as he does throughout this section. Wisdom is the principal thing, he says. Wisdom is the principal thing, the first thing, the most important thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and in all your understanding, get understanding. In all your getting, get understanding. So get this above everything else, the wisdom of God. What must be contained in the mind of God? We look, as the Bible instructs us to, at the created world, at the wisdom of the planet, the solar system, how the universe works, the laws that we call the laws of physics, the laws of biology, the whatever, and how everything works together. We look at the intricacy of beautiful ecosystems that surround us on this planet, and we see God's wisdom everywhere in all of that. And then we look at his wisdom in his plan for human redemption, and we understand that God knew that man would sin and had all of that worked out in his divine wisdom and his love before the world ever began, how he would yet rescue us from ourselves and give us this wonderful opportunity that we talked about this morning to be saints and to be part of his, his house, his house of prayer. God's wisdom. And, and in all of that, the Bible says that we see only the slightest bit of who God is. His wisdom is, the Bible says, unsearchable. We cannot fathom it. We cannot understand it. Now, somebody with, with that much wisdom, in comparison to what we know is human frailty and the smartest people on our planet uh, can't, you know, uh, figure out the least thing, it seems like, especially when you look to uh, our political system nowadays. God's wisdom is valuable. It's much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather than silver. Chapter 16 and verse 16 says. It's not enough though just to possess wisdom as a possession. Possessing wisdom as a possession is like possessing faith as a possession. If it doesn't move you to do something. If it doesn't inform your actions. It is in fact useless. What did... What did James write about faith. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And wisdom without action is equally dead. We, we need to understand that we can possess wisdom. Solomon did, but he didn't 
necessarily always put his wisdom into action. In fact, many times he did not in his life put his wisdom into action. Do you have wisdom? Let it be seen through your action. Wisdom does not reveal itself in its acquisition. It reveals itself in its application. Just like faith. You can say, I have faith. And James says, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. And so it is with wisdom. And the same James challenges us to do that with wisdom as he does with faith in chapter 2 of James. In chapter 3, he challenges us in the same way. Not to just have wisdom, not to just claim wisdom, but to show wisdom, to use wisdom, to demonstrate it. So he says in James chapter 3 and verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Possessing wisdom is one thing, using wisdom is something else. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Where self-seeking and envy exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. The wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that we want from God, what about it? Well, it is pure, it is peaceable, it is gentle, it is willing to yield, it is full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. So if in our lives we are experiencing bitterness of heart and we are envious of what others have or what others uh, get to experience or what they have accomplished, if we are self-seeking in our approach to life rather than uh, serving others, we demonstrate by all of that, not wisdom, but a lack of wisdom. And however clever we may be in being self-seeking in our bitterness and our uh, expression of it, in our envy and our striving to get things that belong to others, however clever we may be, we are not wise. Wisdom shows itself in purity. In purity. Wisdom shows itself in a peaceable, peaceable disposition, in gentleness, in being willing not to always get your way, but to give away, to yield, to let somebody else have their way. There's wisdom. Wisdom has good fruits. Wisdom isn't partial. It treats everyone the same. It doesn't see education level, economic level, race, national background. Wisdom is without partiality. Wisdom is without hypocrisy. This is wisdom as it behaves. And this kind of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that we need, the kind of wisdom that we're praying for, that we need to pray for every day of our lives, give us wisdom to make our days count. Wisdom reveals itself in application. And wisdom brings peace and wisdom brings life. Looking at the Proverbs again in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 17, speaking to us still about wisdom in that context, Solomon writes that her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. 
She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. She is a tree of life. That is an interesting phrase, isn't it? May I tell you that the phrase tree of life is only found in three books in the Bible. It's found notably in Genesis, and we're all familiar with the tree of life there. It's found notably in the book of Revelation. Most of us are familiar with it there, where it is in the paradise of God, and where humankind, redeemed, is once again united with the tree of life, from which we were separated in the garden. So this, this fruit that we can eat of to live eternally, we lost it in Genesis, we regain it in Revelation, And in Proverbs, we learn how to regain it. The phrase tree of life is found in the book of Proverbs more than it's found in Genesis or Revelation. Did you know that? In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 17, wisdom is a tree of life. Wisdom brings us to happiness in this life and eternal happiness in the life to come. The fruit of the righteous, Proverbs 11 and verse 30, is a tree of life. How about that? That's what you get when you live a righteous life. Proverbs 13 and verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it's a tree of life. And so we're longing for heaven even now Wisdom keeps us, keeps us true to our hope. And when we experience it, it's a tree of life. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. The things that we say can lead to life eternal. Words are powerful. Proverbs 15 and verse 4. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 12, here's what Solomon, I believe, wrote. When he says... The excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Wisdom gives life. Life that now is and life that is to come. Wisdom gives life. What do you need in the coming year? What do you need right now? What do you need tomorrow? I know one thing I need. I need the wisdom of God. In the wisdom of God, there's guidance for the choices that I make. There's guidance for the right way to go. In the wisdom of God, there are things that are unfathomable and incomprehensible to me, but I can trust God are true and right and will help me. But more than all of that, and maybe all of that put together, in the wisdom of God, the wisdom that I pray for, there is life and life eternal. It is a tree of life. Let's pray for wisdom. Don't forget to pray for wisdom. As we go on in the 90th Psalm, in verses 13, 14, and 15, a prayer for God to have compassion and mercy on us. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. All of the times we think in times past that we have suffered, that things have gone wrong, maybe even in 2023 we've 
We've had health problems. We've had perhaps financial problems, personal problems. We've had issues come up that we've had to deal with and some unpleasantness in our lives if we look back. And yet we plead with God for compassion and for mercy as we go through the difficulties of life. Our need for mercy is actually displayed throughout the Psalms. Mercy is undeserved kindness. It is receiving not what we deserve, but what we don't deserve. It is displayed, as I said, throughout the Psalms. In 11 of the Psalms, the psalmist pleads specifically for mercy. Mercy that is needed because of our sins. Mercy that is needed because of our sickness. Mercy that is needed because of oppression from our enemies. We need mercy from God to handle all of those things. Can I share some of that with you? In distress and sickness, we need mercy. The psalmist will write in Psalm 4 and verse 1, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. The mercy of God to help us in our our distresses, in our sicknesses, in our afflictions. Chapter 6 and verse 2, or rather Psalm 6 and verse 2. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. How many of us in sickness have not cried out to God for help to overcome the sickness, whatever it might be, or the affliction? Have mercy on me, Psalm 31 and verse 9, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief, yes, my soul and my body. We need God's mercy to overcome our physical trials, for sure. We need God's mercy because the wicked oppress us daily. Even as was the case of Lot, dwelling in Sodom, so righteous people living in our country today are commonly oppressed by a society that does not recognize God and that has no respect for his people or for his truth. The psalmist understood all of that and he prays that God will help him to stand against the oppression of the wicked. Psalm 9 and verse 13 Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death. We trust God that though in fact truth and righteousness and the Lord's cause are oppressed in this world, we trust God that he will be with us and see us through. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me and be my helper. Psalm 30 and verse 10. Psalm 86, verses 16 and 17 Uh, Turn to me and have mercy on me. Give me your strength, your servant, and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Psalm 123 and verse 3. Have mercy on on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. I think about that when I listen uh, sometimes to political pundits, uh, social commentators who express that the values of Scripture, of God's Word, are the problem in our country, who want to undermine truth and righteousness, and who hold Christianity in the most vile, vileness of contempt. When I think about 
that, and I think about this verse, have mercy on us for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. We are held to be contemptible. We need mercy because of the guilt of our sin. Surely we need mercy for this. We don't want God to give us that which we deserve, which is eternal punishment. We don't want that. We want mercy. When David had gone in and sinned with Bathsheba and realized his horrible sin before God, Write Psalm 51, which starts, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. David isn't asking for God to just overlook what he did. He's not asking for God to excuse what he did. He's not saying, God, uh, you, you know, just give me a break here. He's asking God to forgive him for the sin that he committed. And so in Psalm 31 as well, have mercy on me, O Lord, I'm in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief, my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity, because of my iniquity. We need mercy. If you look at the 25th Psalm, everybody, I know some of you have been trying to flip to these passages really quickly, but you might turn now to Psalm 25 and notice just a few verses with me. Uh, Here's a Psalm where all of this is kind of included in just a few short verses where the psalmist is recognizing his need for mercy, pleading with God for mercy because of his distress and his sickness, because of the oppression of the wicked and because of his sins. Just a few verses in Psalm 25, starting in verse 16. Turn yourself to me and have mercy, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain. Forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. And so may I say to you, as we think about this prayer, that we all need to pray for mercy from God. All of us face these things. All of us have distress and sickness and affliction, emotional difficulties and physical difficulties. All of us are oppressed by a wicked society and many of us have particular people who uh, would like to bring us down if possible. We know what oppression is. And all of us know what sin is. So we pray going into the coming year in view of the eternal nature of God and the passing nature of our lives, we pray. We pray for wisdom and we pray for mercy. Let's pray for those every day, for wisdom and for mercy. And then to continue on in the 90th Psalm, show us the work that we are to do. Man was created. We are God's workmanship. That we might do work that he designed us to do. Psalm 90 and verse 16, the prayer is, Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. 
Show us the work that we need to do and let our children see your glory in us, I think is the implication of that. Your glory will appear to our children when they see you working in us or us working your work, perhaps. There's a lot of work to do, and we were created in Christ to do it. Ephesians chapter 2, the screen says 20, but it's 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what God created us for. We need to abound in those works. We need to keep doing those works, keep discovering those works. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is God's intention for us. Much could be said about that. There's much to do in the kingdom of the Lord. And in his work. And, and what we then need to be praying for is to let that appear to us. Make it obvious to us, Lord, what work should we be accomplishing? What should, should, what should we be doing? What should I be doing in my life today to serve God? Show me what you want me to do today. Give me an opportunity to do that. Of course, he's going to show us what works to do in his word. They are complete to guide us into every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, right? They show us what every good work is. This is how he speaks to us about what good works are. But then how can I take that verse and look at the world around me and my opportunities and my experiences and say, well, where is God's work in what is before me now? Where can I find opportunities to do it? Paul asked for prayers, for opportunities to do God's work. Paul knew what God's work was. But he asked for prayers, for opportunities that it might, if you will, appear to him that he might see in his life what needed doing. He, he requests of the um, Colossians in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, praying for us also that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains. Here Paul is in, in Roman prison, and he's still saying, God, give me, give me some work to do. Show, show me how I can do your work in Roman prison. Of course, he wrote, uh, these amazing epistles while he's in Roman prison. He converts people like Onesimus while he's in Roman prison apparently and others. The Praetorian Guard, all of it, learns the gospel while he's in prison. How many of us would think, wow, I'm here in prison. What a great opportunity to spread the gospel. If God will just show me an opportunity, show me how I can do his work, I'm on it, right? Is that what we'd be thinking in prison? It's a mindset. It's a mindset that we, all of us, need to do more to develop. And I think it starts by praying for it, by praying to see God's work. Can we do that? Can we pray and pray fervently? And then when the doors are open and the opportunities are shown, can we enter those doors and take those opportunities? I shared with you last week something that was going on with a couple of my friends in Zimbabwe. And I want to follow up with that. I was telling you about uh, Brother Takawira Mukano. We call him Taka for short because his whole name's hard to say. But uh, call him Taka or Tak. He's a seasoned gospel preacher. He has a son by the name of Shingai that's just starting to preach the gospel, works with him. And there's another gospel preacher by the name of Gilbert, whom I've studied with and worked with some. And they, along with a young man named Simba, a week ago, a little over a week ago, they decided, while everybody else, and if, if, if you ever hear the song, they even know it's Christmas down in Africa, they know. They have Christmas in Africa. 
okay? But it's not quite like it is here. But lots of people get the day off or the week off or the two weeks off. Most people aren't working anyway. But they do spend time uh, with family and uh, some sort of celebration of a family Christmas. So Taka and his co-workers decided we're not going to do that this year. The four of us are going to head out to a remote village or two uh, in eastern Zimbabwe and we're going to evangelize and we're going to go hut to hut and door to door for a week. And they did that. And the last two days it's been raining like cats and dogs which is uh, good because it's a drought up until the last couple of days but now they're finally getting some rain so we thank God for that. And if my calculations are correct from the reports that I've gotten from them over the last week, just in the last week since last Sunday, they have baptized 57 people. 57 people. While we've been eating turkey and opening presents. Which they could have done, maybe not eating turkey, they might eat crickets or mopani worms or something, but nonetheless, do we, want to, do we want to do God's work? Do we want it to appear to us? Do we want to make opportunities to do it? Do we want to sacrifice to do it? Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And empower us to do it. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Show us the work to do and then enable us, strengthen us to accomplish that work. It should be our constant prayer for the Lord to strengthen us to accomplish the work that he created us to do. His power is power. His strength is strength. And through him we can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Ephesians 3.20, that's exactly what Paul says. It is God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. If anyone ministers, Peter will write in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, let him do so with the ability that God supplies. God gives us the strength. We must never say, I cannot do the work of God. For to say that is to say that God is powerless. God created you to do his work. He created me to do his work. And he surely has the power to empower us to do his work. When we deny the power to do it, we're denying God's power itself. Friends and brethren, visitors among us, life is so short. 
It is so short. 70 or 80 years at best, and we fly away. It is, as has been said, like a snowflake that lights on your hand, and it disappears while you're trying to figure out what to do with it, and it's gone. We don't understand the present, really. Do you understand what's going on right now in the world? Do you understand the present? I I don't. We have no knowledge of the future nor of the direction that we should take to face it without God. God is eternal. His wisdom is beyond measure. And so may our, our prayer ever be for his wisdom to guide us, for his mercy to help us, for his work to occupy us, for whatever days remain for us. And they may be, may be many, or they may be few. But however many there be, they will pass swifter than a weaver's shuttle. As a watch in the night. As a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. As uh, someone reminded me today of a pretty good saying, I've said it a few times, but I like it. Pray hard for these things. Is there anybody here tonight who's not right with God, who wants to get better in their relationship with God, who wants the prayers of this congregation or perhaps to name the name of Jesus and be baptized in water, to have a relationship with him even now? We'd ask you to come while we stand and sing.